The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Second. Here. Councilmember Angela Whitfield Calloway. Present. Councilmember Scott Benson. Scott Benson, I. Three are present. You have a quorum, Mr. Chair. Excellent. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? Motion. Are there any objections? Hearing none, the minutes are approved. Uh, negative chairman's remarks. Um, now we will move on to public comments. Mr. Bo, how many people do we have in the queue? Mr. Chair, we currently have five hands raised for public comment. Oh, oh he testified? Okay. All right, we got five hands to testify. Before we go to virtual, we're going to go to people who are in the room. I believe Mr. Herman Jenkins, Friends of the Rouge, is here. Would you like to testify? Okay, come on up. You got two minutes, sir. I'm here in uh, support of uh, Fort Street Bridge Park, uh, the uh, lease uh, agreement that you're working on with the DNR. Um, the vision for this uh, network of connected greenways uh, and blueways on the uh, lower Rouge goes back nearly two decades uh, to the Rouge Gateway Greenway Master Plan, last iterated in 2005. Uh, Fort Street Bridge Park is a hold on for a minute. Hold on, hold on for a minute. Uh, do we have the uh, what, what's what's going on with the clock, Mr. Bo? What? No. 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 All right, there we go. Hold on, hold on. reset the clock, Mr. Bo. It's the clock. Okay, go ahead, sir. All right, great. So, yes, as I was mentioning, uh, Friends of the Rouge is working on a 29-mile water trail on the Lower Rouge River. Um, Fort Street Bridge Park in Detroit is a critical aspect of that, um, uh, giving connectivity to Down River Lane Greenways, Great Lakes Way, uh, Joe Louis Greenway, and the Iron Bell Trail. Um, it is Detroit's only access point on the Lower Rouge uh, Water Trail, uh, giving access in communities uh, in Southwest Detroit, um, also South Dearborn, that have been traditionally, historically. Uh, Dr. Powers, you go online. Yes, sir. Sorry. How you doing? Okay, now, I'm doing well, thank you. This this person is here as requested by the council uh, on the issue that we were referring to earlier in the state involving um, the park. I want to know if I allow this man to be able to, to speak, to present what he's talking about to the park, can I be able to allow him to do that without a time clock? Or will that trigger everybody that wants to talk without a time clock? In my opinion, sir, since he's not listed and um, he's not... he. I mean, is he an expert on the, on the issue? Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. If you're, if you're considering him an expert on the issue, then you should invite him to discuss at that line item. Okay. Okay. So, so when, we bring when, that line up, they will let him come. Yeah, okay. When you get to that line item, then have him join you because if he's in public comment, he has to be considered a, a member of the public. Okay. Okay. 
or that I will see you at that time then, sir. Excellent. So just stick around. Thank you. All right. Thank sorry, you. sorry about that. Yeah, I didn't want to do that to you. We didn't have to. You know what I'm saying? You got it. All right, especially when you hear at request of us. So thank you, sir. All right. So let's move on, Mr. Bo. Who do we have in the um in the queue? Mr. Chair, our mm. first caller is over with. All right, let's bring up Mr. Crowley. Mr. Crowley, you have two minutes. The floor is yours. Okay, well, thank you, sir. Hey, I just wanted uh, to say what up, though, to Detroit and let um, this, this committee, in particular, Neighborhood Community Service, know that I've become so disenchanted with the Democrats here in Detroit that I switched my party affiliations. You know, last year I Voted last election, I voted straight Democratic ticket. I switched my party affiliations. I'm a whole Republican now. But from the top down, Democrats here in Detroit, we need to hold hearings here in Detroit. We need some McCarthy hearings 2023 and hold them right here downtown Detroit because of the nonsense going on. Now, I've been asking for over a year and a half now um, that Kenesha Coleman matter be addressed. But um, somehow the city of Detroit and the Detroit Police Department feel like they can defy the law of physics. I just had a conversation not too long ago with uh, Lieutenant DeLuca over at Internal Affairs. Now he tells me that he can't investigate the homicide division of the Detroit Police Department on the cover up of a murder because the homicide division had already investigated the matter thoroughly. And that is just ludicrous. It's ridiculous. I asked, I'm telling him they're covering up a murder, and he's saying he can't investigate them because they already investigated it and deemed it a suicide. Totally ridiculous. I mean, I ain't never heard the absurdity of it is ridiculous. The lunacy is just ludicrous for him to even assert that, that he can't investigate the homicide division because they didn't already investigated the crime and deemed it a Suicide. Total nonsense. That's why I'm a whole Republican now. We got to have some kind of change going on in Detroit. It's got to take effect now. Next caller in the, bu- in the queue, Mr. Bo. Mr. Chair, our next caller is Cunningham. Mr. Cunningham, welcome. Yeah, two minutes. The floor is yours.
can also find this information on Detroit Department of Transportation, um, their Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, you can spell the whole word out, Detroit Department of Transportation. Again, that Zoom call in number, 1312-626-6799. The meeting ID number is 962-6800-8285. My name on Facebook is Forced Subservient Cunningham. Forced Subservient Cunningham. Again, it's an anonymous to listen to 313-444-9114. If you choose that, uh, logging in, the uh, download, Zoom, and et cetera, no problem. If you'd like a few flyers, it's been provided by DDOT, thank God, no problem. And all council persons and people at home, Please enjoy your weekend. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, who do we have next in the queue, Mr. Bo? Mr. Chair, our next caller is Carol Hughes. Okay, Ms. Hughes, go ahead. Yeah, two minutes. Um, good afternoon. May I speak? Yes, you may. Two minutes. My name is Carolyn Hughes, and I'm speaking on the item on the agenda 6.1. I think it's irresponsible to enter into an agreement with a city listed as 100% financing. Um, if you do it, it is a proxy and a precedence for other people to do the same thing or other organizations. If the city and if the state, in fact, cannot enter into an agreement with this organizations or organizations like this, then why would the city enter into an organization as a proxy for them and then for uh, 20 years? And your expert witness, I have questions for him if he's an expert witness. I would like to interrogate him, uh, like what are his credentials, and you call him an expert witness. If you're going to call an expert witness, we have a right to interrogate your expert witness during whatever presentation. He's, he's part of the public. Uh, my, my next question is is contract uh, 7.1 for various GSD buildings. At the council table, we should not have contracts for various buildings. We should spell these buildings out in the contract so we know. We know we are operating in a corrupt system, with, and, and you guys are perpetrating corruption on the people by voting in these things. If you vote this in, this 6.1, I'm going to raise issues with the state and with the government because I, as a citizen, don't want to be entered into an agreement for 20 years with people I don't know, people who may not be in business in 20 years, and then I'm on the hook. Um, uh, that, that dog don't hunt here, uh, and I need to know who the buildings of the GSD are that you're, that you're representing. Uh, I, I, I have come across some, some serious information about the queue line that was uh, bought with uh, uh, public dollars, and, and, and fraud was perpetrated upon the people. I'm not accepting any more fraud from corrupt councils. You understand? No more. Thank you for that. Um, I just want to say for the record, there will be no money that will be spent from the city on this. I just want to say on uh, a line item 6.1. Just want to let you know that uh, as they pass through contract, as I understand it, and they will explain that more when we get to that line item. Who's next in the queue, Mr. Bo? Mr. Chair, our next caller is McCormick. All right, McCormick, you have two minutes. The floor is yours. 
Good afternoon, Council. My name is Marie McCormick. I am the Executive Director of Friends of the Rouge, and I'm um, calling in support of the lease agreement between the City of Detroit and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources lease for the Fort Street Bridge Park. I have personally been working on this project for six and a half years and am part of a committee that's been working on this project for 20 years. Um, the project is entirely funded by independent dollars supported by um, nonprofits and local groups. The project will be completely supported by um, the Downriver Delta Community Development Corporation um, as the um, stakeholder that will maintain the project. And it will offer uh, residents in Southwest Detroit and Dearborn the opportunity to have access to um, water recreation along the Lower Rouge. So I'm just really grateful for this opportunity um, to speak to y'all. And um, that's all I have to say. Thank you. All right, thank you. Appreciate your time. Mr. Bo, is there anyone else um, in the queue available? Who's next? Mr. Chair, we have um, four hands with their hands raised at this moment. Okay, at this point, we're gonna close public comment. Public comment is now closed. Public comment is now closed. Public comment is now closed. All right, go ahead, Mr. Bo. Mr. Chair, our next caller is Paul. Paul, you have two minutes. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, my name is Paul Drouse. I'm a professor of sociology at the University of Michigan Dearborn. I'm also the facilitator of the Fort Rouge Gateway Partnership, and I'm a board member with Downriver Delta Community Development Corporation. So I'm commenting in support of the agreement, lease agreement, no cost lease agreement between the city of Detroit and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Downriver Delta CDC has already entered into an agreement with the city of Detroit to maintain phase one of the Fourth Street Bridge Park, which was built uh, with no dollars from the city of Detroit, uh, money raised by nonprofit partners on land owned by Michigan Department of Transportation. This phase two of the project is taking place on land owned by Michigan Department of Natural Resources directly adjacent to phase one. So in sum, what this amounts to is one acre of public land with river access on the Rouge River in the city of Detroit that didn't exist before created and built uh, and maintained with no direct cost to the city of Detroit. We've been uh, thankful to have a great partnership with the city of Detroit Bureau uh, General Services Department and we hope to continue to work in collaboration with them as we uh, maintain the park and uh, help to connect residents to this valuable natural resource, which has been uh, unavailable uh, to them uh, for far too long. It's already a very popular fishing spot and a popular gathering spot in the summer. So we hope that everyone will go to visit the Fort Street Bridge Park, and uh, we hope that this Resolution will be approved. Thank you. Thank you. Who do we have next in the queue, Mr. Bo? Mr. Chair, our next caller 
number ends in 534. All right, 534, you have two minutes. Yes, hello, may I be heard? Yes, you may. Yes, this is D5 resident Joanne Warwick, and I would like to say, uh, Member Coleman Young, it was very rude of you and your staff not to call on me in the end of November at that hearing when I had my hand up. And also, when I dialed in this morning, I raised my hand, and it said, your hand has been raised. And then I touched it again. It said, your hand has been raised. So somebody's systematically lowering people's hands, and that needs to stop. And I second the emotions of uh, people who called and believe that the council's misspending money. Um, it was very rude and inconsiderate of this city to string me along since 2015, saying they were going to do a planning study in my neighborhood. And then I learned in 2021 they were secretly planning a development, mostly for my black. So anybody who says this city is about equity and inclusion is a Pinocchio, because we didn't get equity and inclusion. Inclusion would have been include everybody in the planning study and instead of create all this neighborhood tension, racial division, newbie versus older stuff, very, very unbecoming of the city, violation of the city charter, disrespectful to the residents. And why, Mr. Young, is your office being so secretive about these alleged support letters? And no, your, your, your chief of staff did not spend 15 hours with me about this. Why are you being secretive about these support letters? We should know. And some of these people are bad mouth and other neighbors, and thou shalt not bear false witness against our neighbors. We have all these religious people coming every, uh, on the Tuesdays, but do they listen and hear the cries of the people? Unfortunately, I don't think any of them do. So vote against North End Landing if you're really about equity and inclusion. And if not, then please just step down or don't say that. Just say we're corrupt and we do what the mayor wants. Because that's pretty much what we got in the lower North End. And probably. All right. Thank you so much for your call. Who's next to the queue, Mr. Bo? Mr. Chair, our next caller is Sally Petrella. Say that last name again, Mr. Bo. <clears throat> Petrella. Okay, Ms. Petrella, you have two minutes. The floor is yours. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak. Uh, I am also here uh, on behalf of Friends of the Rouge, who I happen to work for. Um, and I'm speaking on item number 6.1 in support of the city uh, adopting that uh, no-cost lease for the Fort Street Bridge Park uh, expansion so that uh, we will have access to the river. Um, this is a community-led project that has been going on for decades. Um, that is, is a, a, a great amenity in an area of the city that has no access to the river and has so few areas of green space where people can come and recreate. And um, with this small partnership that the city would agree to, um, it would take this park that that community has already built at their own expense. That's a beautiful park um, that people are already using and add, you know, then, then 
create a situation so that we can add a kayak launch viewing uh, platform so people can watch the freighters go by and put in a kayak launch. Um, so I, I don't really see any downside to the city approving this. There's no cost. It adds an amenity to the city. It adds, um, it, it expands this, this new beautiful park um, I don't see any downside, so I, I request that this subcommittee approve this. Thank you very much, and I'll yield the rest of my time. Thank you. Appreciate you. Who's next in the list in the queue, Mr. Bo? Mr. Chair, our last caller is Brian. Just Brian? Okay. Brian, you have two minutes. Floor is yours. Good afternoon, uh, Brian Yap. I'm the dire uh, deputy director of the Motor Cities National Heritage Area, and we are the nonprofit affiliate of the National Park Service, uh, servicing this area related to automotive and labor history in the region. So I'm here also speaking on behalf of the Fourth Street Bridge Park. As one of those contributing partners, our organization helped to raise uh, the funds for phase one of the Fourth Street Park in a true definition of collaboration across partners, across government and community, and has uh, served all the good purposes that you've heard already. So I implore the uh, council to consider uh, the adoption of the, the agreement that now annexes the uh, second phase of the park to continue that effort. Again, on behalf of the Park Service, who's uh, charged with stewarding the, the country's history, this park not only provides great recreation and opportunity for access to the river, but also as a key point in our uh, cultural history as it was the stepping off point for the famed 1932 Ford Hunger March, which again, we recognize both our uh, automotive and labor heritage of this region. It is the stepping off point for the 1932 Fort Hunger March, and the park represents uh, dedicated to those people. It, it is called the Fort Street Bridge Park, but there is a statue in the middle called March On, which is dedicated to those who gave their life that day. Uh, so the park represents to our national story uh, an important uh, piece of Detroit's uh, and Dearborn's automotive uh, and labor history. Thank you. Wow, the Hunger March is a big <laughs> deal. Thank you, yeah. sir. I appreciate that. Uh, that being our last caller, that will be all for public comment. Now we will move to a special presentation that I have. I want to give the testimonial resolution in Empowerment Plan. Will Ms. Veronica Scott, the founder of the Empowerment Plan, please come forward? Excellent. So this testimonial resolution from the Detroit City Council for the, to the empowerment plan, breaking the cycle of homelessness through empowerment, employment, and education. The Honorable Coleman A. Young II, council member at large, recognizes the exceptional achievements and extraordinary success of empowerment plan. Whereas empowerment plan is a Detroit-based nonprofit with a mission to hire unhoused minority single parents from local shelters to become full-time seamstresses Seamstresses, yeah, pronounce that right. This organization was established with a goal to manufacture coats that could transition into sleeping bags and directly distributed to the homeless in Detroit. In addition to constructing transitional coats, Empowerment Plan is dedicated to confronting homelessness head on through a system of employment, education, and empowerment, and whereas Empowerment Plan was founded in 2012 by Veronica Scott in Detroit 
she began this selfless journey having experience with poverty firsthand as her parents struggled with mental health, addiction, unemployment, and abuse. The ingenious idea to design a coat that transforms into a sleeping bag has grown into an organization that creates jobs that ultimately ends homelessness for participants through supportive services and programming. And whereas Empowerment Plan has a dynamic program geared towards on-the-job training during the first 90 days, employees are paid an hourly wage to learn industrial sewing, manufacturing, and assembling of the innovative sleeping bag coats. Typically, a work week is 40 hours, and approximately 40% of that time is carved out for educational and supportive services. And whereas the empowerment plan aims to hire single mothers struggling with homelessness, everything from housing, childcare, transportation, and education is addressed through its phenomenal programming. The programs include the following, GED, HSE, and post-secondary education, financial health and wealth, driver's education, domestic violence support, an empowered pantry, trauma-informed yoga, mental health services, and clinical therapy, case management, career advantage support, as well as other services to assist participants in earning a stable income, securing permanent housing, and regaining their independence. And whereas Empowerment Plans CEO and finder, founder, excuse me, Veronica Scott, has been awarded the Idea Gold Award from the Industrial Design Society of America, the People's Voice Award from Diane von Furstenberg, Forbes 30 Under 30, Crane's Detroit Business 20 in their 20s, CNN's 10 Visionary Women, and is the youngest recipient of the John F. Kennedy New Frontier Award from the JFK Library Foundation and Harvard University. The employment plan story has been told internationally and has been featured by Good Morning America, 60 Minutes, Aaron Burnett Outfront, Mashable, and DreamWorks Animation. And whereas empowerment plan has made an enormous impact on the city of Detroit and has touched the entire world. The program continues to serve as a roadmap out of poverty into a state, a state of stability by programs and services that will allow individuals to tear down barriers, blocking employment, skill gaps, education, and financial stability. Now, therefore, be it resolved. The Honorable Coleman A. Young II, Council Member at Large Number One, along with the entire Honorable Detroit City Council members, celebrate the excellence of Empowerment Plan. We applaud your initiative to improve the lives of thousands around the globe through sleeping bag coats and jobs created through the Empowerment Plan. Thank you for your service to the people of Detroit and beyond. Let's give a big round of applause to Empowerment Plan, everybody. And Veronica Scott. 
Miss Scott, is there anything you would like to say? Press that button right there. Okay. <laughs> this is new for me. Uh, thank you. That was probably the best introduction of all time, and I need to record that and play that when Good. I go anywhere. Uh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be doing this in Detroit. I couldn't have done it in any other city in the world. This is where my family's from and generations of my family. So it's incredible to be able to make an impact and also be so supported uh, and kind of embraced by the community that we're in. So we've, because of the help here and our partners in Detroit, we've distributed about 72,000 coats across the entire U.S. and 22 other countries. We just distributed in Tel Aviv this week. And we're now employing about, we've employed about 120 people. And being able to see each person that we employ has about three kids. So being able to see that generational change is the greatest part of my job and getting to help people find that next step and that career that they've always wanted to be in. So I'm just honored to be here today. And if anybody has any questions, I'm also happy to answer them. Well, I think that's awesome. Amazing. I also know you brought one of the bags with you that, you know, the, uh, one yes. of the, the coats that turns into an actual sleeping bag. Yes. I'm known as the coat lady. So, yeah. <laughs> or just, so I brought one. Okay. I figured I could do a little demonstration. Yeah. If you'd like to see it. Okay. Yes, I would. All right. And after that, we'll take questions from our colleagues if they like. All right, so it can be worn over the shoulder, and I'll. Okay. Very new. Okay. So over the shoulder bag when not in use, especially in the summer, it's good to be able to carry your belongings inside of this. Unbuckles here. Unbuckles here, and now you can see it as a coat. You may have seen these. We try to change colors and change designs as often as we can. So, do you have one in green? Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. We actually we have one in green, and then when we did one, we partnered with companies like Carhartt and Patagonia, and they give us seconds and dead stock. So we did a Merlot coat for a while because Carhartt did not sell a lot of Merlot one year. Wow. This is it as a full sleeping bag. Wow. Yeah, yeah, clap that up. Wow. Some people would like to just use it as a winter coat and use it for So this can be used as multiple different things, whoever needs them. We've done a lot with... They can be used as a pillow too, right? Oh, uh, yeah, it can be worn in the hood. I've also slept in it. Uh, if you pull the sleeve, then you can put... Wow. Do we have any questions from colleagues? Anybody want to say anything? Uh, yeah, you know, I love it. I'm the one, you were looking around like, who said does it come in green? I'm the Who's one who like, said where, does it come in green. Um, come so from? that is a sleeping bag. Yes. Because I go camping all the time, and um, I'm outdoors quite a bit, and I would love to know how I could personally get one, um, and um, I absolutely love it. And I just think what you're doing is amazing. You're touching so many lives. 
um, and providing that level of safety and then all of the resources that you offer. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you so, Thank so much. You so, so much. And the, that testimonial resolution, all the awards that you've received, everybody's recognizing the good work that you've done. And I'm so happy that my colleague, um, Councilmember at Large, Colmine Young II, number one, um, number one. Brought, you, brought you forth. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. And that was, like, the best intro ever. Uh, and so for our coats, right now, there's, it's, it shows the impact of COVID globally. Um, the amount of people that are displaced, those numbers have only skyrocketed. Um, and similar to things that we're seeing with employment and domestic violence. So these numbers have just only increased. And also shelters have reduced their occupancy. They can't have as many people. And so the number of coats that we're making this year is about 10,000 units. And we're distributing them globally. And they, right now, we have a wait list of 6,000 people beyond those 10,000 units of people trying to get the product. So we're not doing them for people to purchase because we're so busy trying to fulfill yeah. orders for people in need globally, whether it's disaster relief, refugees, sending it out to different kind of war zones. It's, it's been a, a wild um, couple of years, honestly. Yeah. Um, through the chair, I'm hoping that one day you'll be able to retail them um, because I would certainly know a lot of people who would like to purchase them um, just for those camping reasons I uh, talked to you about earlier. But camping, um, I pray that one day you'll be able to retail them and still have your nonprofit and the way that you give on the other side, but retail it on the other. So good luck to you and thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I do, and, and is welcome and, and really glad that you were able to um, make this um, acknowledgement to Memory Young. This is huge, and I've been um, exposed to the Empowerment Plan um, a number of years ago when I used to work at in Midtown, at Midtown Detroit Incorporated. Um, and I believe at the time you were on Vermont. Yep, uh, yeah, Pony so, Ride. Yep, so I remember from the Pony Ride days as well. And just most recently, just your story is so powerful, and you represent Detroit so well. So we have the opportunity to be in Philadelphia at the Comcast Universal Sphere. Yep. And it was a great a group of municipal officials from around the country. And I got to take great pride in the fact that Detroit was represented in that because your story is represented as one of the most powerful ideas on the planet. And so as well as being representing Detroit, there are others represented from around the globe from different continents but out of the 10 stories, Detroit's rose to the top out of all the different ideas on the planet as one of the most powerful ideas on earth. And so I just really wanted to make sure that that was recognized because I was very proud to have that amongst all of the national municipal officials. I got the chance to brag. So you gave us bragging rights around the world. And so thank you for that. And I just remember the different iterations of the empowerment plan, of the coats, of just the idea of educating people to take charge of their lives and do something positive. I'm also just going to reinforce what my colleague said about an additional revenue stream. Although you are obviously oversubscribed, the ability to generate additional revenue via retail will help offset the cost and enable those who are making these to put additional money into their pockets. So you really have other opportunities now to create wealth for uh, the participants in the empowerment plan. So I'm hoping that you'll give that some more thought, maybe do a spinoff or a for-profit uh, revenue stream for those who are making these. Thank you very much, and you are representing the city of Detroit very well, around the world. Thank you.
Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, um, how many people have you pulled off the street that are once homeless that are now employed? Do you know? Do you have that on top of your head? 120 people we've employed over the last 10 years. In the beginning, we weren't a transitional employer. It was, can we hire people directly from shelters and can we make these coats? And we made 1,000 coats that first year and hired three people with... Uh, uh, in partnership with COTS and uh, Neighborhood Service Organization and a few others. And so it evolved over time just from feedback from the individuals we employ and their successes and them wanting to move on into other careers. And so just listening to them and hearing them and, and saying, I want to be in this field. And we're like, okay, let's figure out how to make that happen. And so now our goal is that people are with us for about two years before going on into other jobs. And we have individuals that were, you know, living, someone was living in their car with their son when we hired them. And now this person is selling, working in a title company, selling mortgages. And so it's just an incredible, incredible thing to see that impact directly with people that we employ. So our goal over the next couple of years is to really grow as much as we can here and employ as many people as we possibly can. So grow to maximum capacity in Detroit. Well, I just think that's awesome. I, I, I just think that you are a staple of where we want to go and what we want to do in the city of Detroit. We truly appreciate you. So that's all the questions I have. Do my colleagues have any other questions? Okay, so we're going to end this. We're going to take pictures. So uh, we're going to take some pictures, and then we'll move on with our agenda. So thank you so much. All right, let's get back to it. Items six, unfinished business. Item 6.1, contract 600 100% city funding to provide a lease agreement for the city of Detroit to manage and maintain Fort Street Bridge Park. Contractor, state of Michigan. Um, location 1801 Atwater, Detroit, Michigan, 48207. Contract period upon city council approval through July 26, 2042. Total contract amount is $0. From my understanding, we could not get members of the state to participate, but we do have people from the law department who can explain that. But before we do, we have Mr. Herman Jenkins, who's friends of the Rouge, who would like to come and provide testimony. About this, yes. So th this, the, I want to hear from you first, and then we're going to hear from everybody else. Dr. Powers, am I good? Uh, you good. As soon as you ask for a motion to discuss, 
Okay. Is there? Oh, yeah, thank you, Doctor. I completely blew my mind. I'm sorry. Thank you, Doctor. You know, I got so excited with the presentation. That's what happened. All right. Is there a motion to discuss line item six point one? Hearing no objections, we have a motion to discuss line on 6.1. All right, Mr. Herman Jenkins, floor is yours. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Um, so I am uh, Herman Jenkins. I'm the trails manager with uh, Friends of the Rouge. Uh, Friends of the Rouge is a watershed organization founded in 1986. Uh, our mission is to restore and protect the, uh, the Rouge watershed. Um, we do so through uh, education uh, and, and stewardship. Um, we are spearheading an effort to establish a 29-mile uh, water trail and network of connected greenways on the Lower Rouge River. Uh, we are the fiduciary for phase two of the Fort Street Bridge uh, Park. Um, as you heard uh, so eloquently during a public comment, um, the vision of a water trail and network of connected greenways on the Lower Rouge uh, goes back nearly uh, two decades. Um, Fort Street Bridge Park is a critical multi-purpose trailhead uh, on the Lower Rouge River, um, providing connectivity to the Downriver Link Greenways, Great Lakes Way, Joe Louis Greenway, and the Iron Bell Trail. Um, it is situated between two existing uh, boat launches uh, at Kesey Fieldhouse in Melvindale and Bellinger Park in River Rouge. Uh, having an access point at Fort Street Bridge Park uh, creates shorter, more recreational paddle trips uh, in this section of the Rouge. Um, this is an unbelievably uh, historic uh, portion of the river uh, in that uh, industrial channel. You'll see the original Ford Rouge complex, uh, their amazing one-of-a-kind drawbridges, uh, there as well, including uh, the Fort Street uh, Bridge, New Fort Street Bridge, Bridge. and at the terminus of the uh, uh, Lower Rouge River Water Trail. Um, now, when you enter into the Detroit River, uh, you're actually seeing the footings of the New Gordy Howard National Bridge uh, towering over your head. So it's an unbelievable uh, sight to behold. Um, this is an amazing environmental justice opportunity uh, to create access uh, for neighborhoods in Southwest Detroit and South Dearborn that have been historically uh, blocked from the river by walls of industry. Um, this is a community-led project. Uh, the Fort Rouge Gateway Partnership, or the Frog, Frog Group, um, oversees this vision. Um, this coalition includes business, uh, community organizations, uh, labor, uh, City of Detroit General Services, as you've heard, uh, and area residents. Um, phase one of the park opened in the fall of 2020. Uh, it has become a magnet for community gatherings uh, for local anglers. Um, and, of course, you've heard about the commemorative monument to the uh, 1932 uh, hunger march that uh, uplifts our automotive and uh, labor history. Um, the park is uh, maintained through a maintenance agreement between the City of Detroit and the Down River Delta Community Development Corporation. Um, and this lease uh, would extend uh, to cover the new parcels for phase two of the park that are currently owned by uh, the DNR. Um, phase two of the park, just to give you an idea of uh, what it can be anticipated, uh, will double the park green space uh, install a universally accessible uh, kayak launch, uh, rebuild the uh, fishing and observation deck as well, uh, and incorporate uh, some uh, green infrastructure uh, components, uh, enhancing the rain garden, as well as uh, porous pavers for a turnabout. Um, we have uh, received uh, roughly 30% of the funding for construction of this project. Uh, it is 100% shovel ready and only awaiting uh, final approval uh, from the City of Detroit of construction documents and a special use authorization as well. So. Um, with that, I can answer any questions that you, you may have, uh, but certainly uh, we would hope that uh, you guys will see the value uh, of this uh, in those communities and move forward. Any questions? Uh, Chair recognizes Vice Chair William Calloway. Yeah, thank you. Um, seems like an amazing project. It's going to um, impact our community. Uh, folks from different uh, uh, communities will have an opportunity to enjoy 
the space. My only concern is the length of the lease. It says zero amount. Um, that's concerning for me because sometimes, just like with the queue line and the freeway ramps, zero expense to the city, but then it, we end up having to bear the cost of the queue line. And now we've entered agreement with MDOT to clean up our ramps when it was their responsibility. So I'm always concerned when we enter these types of agreements that some years down the road is going to end up on the backs of the taxpayers of the city of Detroit. And that's my only concern. So if I could read the, the agreement and, you know, become a little bit more comfortable with, with what is being asked of us as a city, um, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but I'm always concerned with these lengthy um, agreements that say zero amount and then a couple years down the road, half a decade, we're on the hook from some unknown expense. And then my other concern would be the liability. If something happens to someone in that body of water that's on our, um, um, under our governance, how does that work? Who will be responsible for the liability um, for accidents? Is it going to be the um, Department of Natural Resources for the state? Is it going to be Dearborn? Is it going to be Detroit? Is it going to be River Rouge? Those are just my concerns. Sure. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I, Natalia Henderson from GSC. Oh, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on for a minute. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Mr. Jenkins can answer that. I, I, I appreciate you, though, brother. Ms. Henderson, you, 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 you are here, correct? Can you answer? Can you provide light to that? Well, I want to let you know that we do have someone on from the MDNR, um, Lori Green, as well as Jonathan Demers from Law, who will be able to answer your lot-related questions. Just letting you know who we have here. Say, say the young lady's name again. Say her last name again. Lori Green. Miss Green. Yes. Okay, Miss Green, when you are um, promoted, the floor is yours. And then we'll go to the law department. No, so we'll wait till Miss Lawrence Green is finished. Then, if you have any other questions, we'll you'll let you answer it. Then we'll go to the law department. There we go. There we go. My bad. <sighs> Just to be clear, Miss Green is from the MDNR, Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Oh, we do have somebody from DNR here. I thought yeah. they wasn't coming. All right, I'm sorry. My bad. Forget what I said earlier. Then that's that's what I was told. I was told they wasn't coming. All right, I must get my wires crossed. DNR, who will speak to this from Ms. Green, and then we'll have a law department speak to it. Okay, I don't think she's going. I think it's going to take a little bit longer than we thought. So, can we? Uh, what What was the gentleman from the law department's last name again? Just say it for me so I'll, so I'll uh, get it right. I don't want to butcher it. Thank you, Councilmember Young. Jonathan Demers. Mr. Demers, I'm sorry. Uh, Councilor Demers, please go ahead and answer the, the legal-related questions. Do, do you need um, Vice Chairwoman Calloway to repeat the question, or do you have the answer? I, I did hear the questions, although, Vice Chair Calloway, you're welcome to restate the questions so I can answer them directly and specifically. Vice Chairwoman. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. I was just concerned about um, the liability if someone is hurt on that the property that is um, located in the city of Detroit, who would be who would bear that cost, and um, I 
think that was it. I can't even remember all the questions that I had. So that was the main one, the liability. Through the chair, again, Jonathan Murray, City of Detroit Law Department. Uh, for context, I've been working on this project since the summer of 2021, so I am very familiar with the lease and was also the attorney responsible for negotiating the terms of the lease with MDNR. They were great partners and, and very reasonable. Uh, to your question, Councilmember Callaway, uh, the city is leasing this property and there are some obligations that come with it, but they're quite minimal. Um, for starters, you had mentioned the waterway specifically and whether there'd be any risk involved to the city. The lease does not cover the waterway. It only covers the three parcels owned by MDNR, which are directly to the north of the existing phase one property that has already been developed. Um, in addition, the uh, nonprofit partners that are working with us um, have agreed to identify the city in the past, and uh, we plan to make the same request in this case. Um, but the liability is, uh, in fact, less than what the city would typically expect at one of its own public parks as a result of this partnership. Um, and as far as the, the payment is concerned, um, you, I believe you also had a question about the payment. You're correct that this is a 20-year term lease and that there is no rent uh, required by MDNR from the city to rent the land. Uh, if, if the purpose of the land were to discontinue, for example, if the park uh, were no longer operational or functional for some reason, uh, the MDNR has the opportunity to cancel the lease. Um, and the city would likely request that in that event anyway. Um, and as has been discussed, I believe last week, all of the maintenance obligations, responsibilities, and costs are being covered by the city's partners in this case, the local nonprofit organization, which, as I understand it, has done an excellent job uh, with the phase one properties up to this point. Uh, Mr. Chair. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vice and, Chair and, and that kind of, thank you, Mr. Chair, that kind of triggers um, the question is, is coming back to my memory. We, um, MDOT um, had the responsibility of maintaining our service ramps um, and our service drives, and um, they hadn't been doing a good job. They hadn't been doing the job at all. Um, and so I don't know if you saw, it was on Channel 4 earlier this week, that now the administration has entered into an agreement for $650,000 for us to take over the maintenance of the, those areas where the state was obligated to take care of those um, areas. So my only question is if this nonprofit um, um, does not take care of the property, does that responsibility then go to the city of Detroit? Through the chair uh, to Councilmember Callaway, ultimately the maintenance obligations do sit with the city of Detroit. Uh, if the maintenance obligations were to become untenable, the city could, and I suspect MDR would agree to uh, either terminate the lease or work out a different arrangement. But I think what's critically important in this case, as I understand it, uh, is that our nonprofit partners have been excellent partners up to this point. The park has been professionally developed and maintained uh, and, and frankly is, is a, a beautiful example of what a park can look like in the city when it involves local partnerships. So unlike the MDOT example that you referenced, uh, what we have here is an established track record of a local partner that's very committed to the area that's locally led and has a, a history of doing an excellent job of maintaining this park such that GSD has confidence in that partnership going forward and is excited about expanding into these phase properties. Okay. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, we got, uh, yes, I have a question, sir. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, does payment in lieu of taxes apply to this at all? Or is this because, or the way, because it's the pass through, this is primarily just the state really kind of doing most of this from my understanding. 
through the chair, Councilmember Young, there is no payment obligation on the city's part at all for taxes or for rent of any kind. Okay. Uh, the city bears no cost obligation whatsoever related to these properties. Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay. And, and that's something that's going to stay consistent throughout the term of the lease. Yeah, correct. Through the chair, Councilmember Young, yes, that is correct unless the lease were amended or modified in some way, but that would require approval of the city and, and this honorable body. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Appreciate that. Is there any other questions? Comments or concerns? Okay. Um, Ms. Henderson, do we, are you there? Do we have our? I am here. Um, I am not sure what happened with Ms. Green. I asked for her to be promoted. I'm not sure if there are technical difficulties on our end or her end, but I'm not seeing that she was. Um, oh, well, I, I do see that she's promoted, actually. Okay. Uh, Ms. Green, you have the floor. Thank you. If there's any questions that specifically need to be answered for on the department's behalf, I, I'm here and I apologize for the technical difficulties earlier. No problem. Ms. Green, can you can we actually see you on the screen or I don't have the ability Oh, okay, no problem. Start video. Sorry. There we go. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. I don't like people hearing people talk. I can't see their face. All right, go ahead. Go ahead, Ms. Green. Are there any questions uh, for the state of Michigan? Any questions? No, sir. No questions. All right, well, Ms. Green, I guess we just really wanted to see you. Thank you so much for your time, <laughs> and we appreciate you and appreciate you coming. And uh, we hope to work with you and have a bountiful and fruitful partnership in the future. All right. Amen to that. Thank you yes. very much. Thank you so much, everybody. Okay, that being said, is there a motion? Are there any other questions, comments, or concerns on this? All right. Is there a motion to move line item 6.1 to formal session with recommendation for approval to be put onto new business? Motion. Are there any objections? Hearing no objection, line item 6.1 is moved to formal session with recommendation for approval to be put onto new business. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you. Thank you, Mr. Jenkins. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you, honorable members of the council. All right, moving on to new business. Office of Contracting and Procurement, line of 7.1, contract 600 100% city funding to provide the installation, renovation, and repair of commercial roofing for various GSD buildings. Contractor McDermott Roofing, Inc., Location, 9301 Southfield, Detroit, Michigan, 48228. Contract period upon city council approval through January 31st, 2026. Total contract amount $628,000. Is there a motion to move line item 7.1 to formal session with recommendation for approval? Discussion. Discussion. Chair recognizes Vice Chairwoman Calloway. Point verification. Is it 7.1 or 7.2? 7.1. Okay. I'm sorry to make that clear. Seven, this is line item 7.1. Mm -hmm. Mr. Chair, for point, I thought we just approved that too. No, we approved line item 6.1. Thank you. Thank you for keeping my P's and Q's. Though. I appreciate it, sir. All right. Chair recognizes Vice Chairwoman Calloway. Thank you so much, um, Mr. Chair. Um, going to um, going back to public comment, Ms. Hughes asked for a list of the various GSD buildings. I'm looking in, I guess, the Teeter's report, and I don't see that list. Is there a list of the GSD buildings that will receive the new installation, renovation, and repair commercial roofing? It says various buildings. Where are those buildings? Do we have a list of them, the locations? 
We do have a list and I'm not sure why that was not included in the CETA report, but I can get that over to you. However, I will tell you that it is all GSD uh, managed facilities, which include the health department, the police department, um, our rec centers and all other facilities that we manage. Can you get that list to us before I said before we take it up for session next week or do you need time for that? I can send it to you now if you have a moment. Okay. Okay, well, we're going to go to Miss uh, Sabatini. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Did you have any more questions? No, okay, I'll have that. I just kind of jumped the gun there. Miss um, Sabatini, go ahead. Is there something you want to say? Yes, sir, and good uh, afternoon. Lori Ann Sabatini, LPD. Within the TETA report, I don't have specific locations, but I do have within the report the list of the facilities that require the maintenance and repair, and it it it, it is inclusive of police precincts, firehouses, vehicle repair garages, maintenance service buildings, recreation centers, comfort stations, pool houses, health clinics, and animal shelters. That's all I wanted to share. That's all you had to say? Okay. That's what I would like to share. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Do you have any questions? No, I still would like the list of those specific recreation centers and those other um, locations. I don't see that in the TIAs report. You've listened, but I don't see any locations, addresses, districts. We will be sure to send that over in writing just so that you can have a comprehensive list. Okay, make sure you send it over ASAP. Okay. Is there any other questions? No. Comments or concerns? All right. Is there a motion move line on 7.1, the formal session with recommendation for approval to put onto new business? Mr. Chair? Yes. Pending the answers to the question I just asked, sir? Mm hmm. Okay. Motion. Motion. It's been made. Are there any, are there any objections? Hearing none, line on 7.1 is moved to formal session with recommendation for approval to be put onto new business. Moving to the Office of Chief Financial Officer slash Office of Development and Grants. Line on 7.2, report submitted for all donated assets accepted to improve existing city Detroit parks and facilities for calendar year 20, 2022 quarter four. Attached herein is a report of all non-cash donated assets that were accepted to improve existing city Detroit parks for the calendar year 2022 quarter four. This includes October 30th, 2022 through December 31st, 2022. Is there a motion to move line item 7.2 to formal session with recommendation for approval to put on a new business? Motion. Discussion. 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 Chair recognizes member Benson. 7.2 was a report. Should we receive and file or move that? You know, you're absolutely right, member Benson. Thank you for that. Is there a motion to receive and file line item 7.2? Motion. Are any objections? Here in uh, line on 7.2, receive the file. Thank you for that, Member Benson. Completely missed that. Line on 7.3, authorization to submit a grant application to the Michigan Economic Development Corporation for the fiscal year 2023 Project Healthy Community Grant. The General Services Department is hereby requesting authorization from the Troy City Council to submit a grant application to the Michigan Economic Development Corporation for the fiscal year 2023 Project Healthy Community Grant. 
project amount being $15,000. There is no city match requirement. The total project cost is $15,000. <coughs> is there a motion to move line item 7.3 to formal session with recommendation for approval to put onto new business? Are there any objections? Hearing none. Line, we'll move line item 7.3 to formal session with recommendation for approval to be put onto new business. Moving on to line item 7.4. Is there a motion to discuss line item 7.4? Motion. Are there objections? Here and now we will discuss line item 7.4. And we are going to receive a report from the brilliant and illustrious Mr. Irvin Corley, everybody. I am excited to see this about the Detroit Public Library. Does everybody have their packet? I'll have to make sure. All right. Sir, welcome. Well, thank you so much, um, Chairman um, Coleman Young and uh, committee council members. I'm Irv Corley, uh, and I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Renee Short, from the uh, Legislative Policy Division, LPD, and uh, we both co-authored the uh, library report, um, and which is line item 7.4 on your agenda. And we also co-authored the uh, PowerPoint presentation that's before you. Both the full library report and the PowerPoint presentation will be posted on LPD's website under the City of Detroit's City Council website. Ms. Short and I felt this is probably one of the most comprehensive financial and policy reports on the Re Detroit Public Library in a long time. We hope that this report is enlightening, informative, and will lead to some very important discussions regarding the future of this precious jewel in the city of Detroit, the Detroit Public Library. And I want to personally thank Councilmember Benson, for his patience in receiving this report in January rather than in August, <laughs> um, as you requested back then. I did give you status reports, so uh, thanks for that. But uh, again, thank you for your patience. Um, back in May of last year, LPD presented a one-page financial report on the library's financial condition. And based on that one pager, Councilman Benson asked for a 10-year financial review of the Detroit Public Library and a um, projection or outlook of the, of the library. So I'm going to now go to the PowerPoint presentation. <clears throat> and uh, Ms. Short will help me with that. Mr. Chairman. May I yes, have, Ms. Short, go ahead. May I have permission to share my screen? Yes, ma'am, you do. Have permission to share your screen. That was a young 
beautiful presentation by that young lady uh, yeah. earlier today with the bag. Um, and you want to go back to my Boy Scout days, <laughs> my camping days. <laughs> I, I remember when I was at the Boys Scouts, but it, 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 it yeah, wasn't I, I don't think it's as smooth as what it was with yours. Huh? <laughs> I, was, I was struggling with all no knots, man. <laughs> How am I going to tie this, for real? <laughs> all right, you can go to the second page, please. Next slide. Um, just one moment. I'm oh, going to okay. make it full screen. Sure. By the way, Mr. Chair, I have shared this um, PowerPoint with um, members of the uh, administration, OCFO, uh, with Ms. McDowney, the executive director of the public library, the CFO, Tony O'Brown, uh, as well as your colleagues. So. The Detroit Public Library, an important educational and social institution to the city of Detroit for almost 160 years, has provided essential library services to library patrons and citizens to the best of its ability with limited resources. Like public libraries throughout the U.S., the library faces financial challenges, as our 10-year financial review will show. A four-year outlook shows improved um, uh, library finances in the near term, however. But the Trade Public Library needs help. It needs financial help. Passing a renewal of the library millage in 2026 is one key step to assisting the library financially. Next slide, please. Today, funding for public libraries is stressed in the face of all levels of government and non-government agencies competing for scarce public dollars. But a question, an important question still remains. Are public libraries still relevant and important? And the answer is a resounding yes. Today's public libraries are a place for people of all ages and backgrounds to seek help, connect with others, and get access to the information and services they need. Next slide. Moreover, public libraries help boost local economies. They are free for patrons. They provide a workspace for telecommuters supply free internet access for people looking for employment opportunities, and offer job and interview training for those in need. However, the role of libraries have changed. The number of in-person visits has declined, and libraries increasingly offer more diverse kinds of programs for all ages, such as story time for toddlers, after-school programs for teens, and computer classes for adults and seniors. No longer are they just book lending centers. And with the number of print materials declining, libraries have become expanding by expanding their electronic book collections significantly. And there's been a 3,000% increase in the usage of ebooks between 2010 and 2019. Next slide, please. The funding sources for public libraries in the state of Michigan are primarily from three sources. Millages, that's a library millage, state aid, and penal fines. Unfortunately, diminishing property values reduce property tax revenues based on the library millage. In addition, 
downtown development authorities and tax increment finance authorities often capture dedicated millages for public libraries, which impacts the library's ability to sustain all its operations. Public libraries are also receive funds from miscellaneous services, donations, interest earnings, and so on and so forth. The main challenge facing libraries both locally and nationally is stable revenue sources. Local, national, and, gl and global economic conditions are significant factors in the availability of funding sources for public libraries. So the decline in the sources of funds contribute to a library's um, serviceability. It reduces their hours oftentimes. It results in closures. And it also results in poor and limited services to library users. And in economic recessions, public libraries may be forced to reduce their budgets and operate in deficits. Next slide, please. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, the level of library services provided by um, Detroit Public Library with limited resources is really remarkable. The main library, um, as we know, is a center of literacy support, cultural programming, technology access, computer classes, and has special historical collections, such as the Burton Historical Collection. There's a mobile library provided by um, Detroit Public Library, where you can check out books, offer um, visual materials, Wi-Fi access, and then we have the library branches. And in, in the branches, those are community centers that connect citizens to information and technology. And each branch has its own level of services that it provides. The Public Library Executive Director Joanne Madani recently stated, we, the Public Library, are the community's living room. We provide opportunities for lifelong learning and access to information. We are always able to provide varying formats, including print and online to access information, education, and recreation. Next slide, please. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, the public library operated the main library and 21 branches and one mobile library, so that's 22 branches in total. But like public libraries throughout the nation, the COVID-19 pandemic forced the library to close its library system on March 13 of 2020. In July 2020, library's courageous frontline staff boarded the mobile library to visit parks, schools, they provided food distribution and recreation and community centers. Then, on September 28, 2020, the library reopened the main library in six branches based on geographic locations and the ability to accommodate social distancing. And also, they reopened the, the mobile library. But in the face of, of the COVID-19 uh, COVID pandemic, the public library decided to reopen 11 additional library branches in, in this fiscal year. Fiscal 2023, beginning on July 1st of 2022. The library determined it would need to use $3.1 million 
of its rainy day fund or unassigned general fund balance, which had a $26 million balance as of June 30, 2021. However, as of this report date, we understand that the library has just reopened nine of those 11 branches. Next slide, please. So again, um, based on council members' requests, LPD conducted this 10-year performance review of the library's financial condition. We used annual financial statements. We looked at uh, the library's financial uh, records. We looked at information from the uh, OCFO and the budget department. And based on that review, we looked up, we looked at the makeup of the library's general fund um, total revenues, going back even to 1975, but we primarily focused on the 10 years, 2012 through 2021. We looked at the property tax captures that impact the library. And um, we looked at their financial statements, their, their net loss or, or net income situation in those 10 years. Next slide, please. So we got some key findings that we want to uh, emphasize. The history of the city's general fund support of the Detroit Public Library revenues have evolved over the years from over a 50% support to them down to zero upon the implementation of a dedicated library property tax millage. The library's uh, approximate uh, library millage of four mills generates about $26 million in current property tax revenue. That constitutes about 89% of their total revenue sources. And that millage is about to expire as of June 30, 2025. If the library millage is not renewed by Detroit Register of Voters in fiscal 2026, the library's system would eventually be forced to shut down. Next slide, please. The library's net property tax revenue, and when I say net property tax revenue, I'm talking about the current property taxes, which is based on their 4.63 mills. I'm talking about prior year taxes, special act property taxes from various tax incentive programs like the NEZs, um, the Industrial Facilities Tax Districts, the OPRA, obsolete property tax rehabilitation. Um, there's interest in it and penalties involved. But when I say net, that's less the property tax captures. And so because those captures are netted against the gross, that's why um, a few years ago it was it a was decision by the city's uh, OCFO finance department to reflect property taxes on a net basis. So when you look at over the last 10, uh, the 10 year um, period that we looked at, again, their net property tax revenue, it ranged from 27 to 33 million. Again, that constituted 92 to 96% of their overall revenues which further emphasizes the library's dependency on property tax revenue generated by the library mills. 
Next slide, please. Unfortunately, the library's gross property tax revenue over the 10-year period did not grow, but was rather stagnant, hovering around $31 million annually. Meanwhile, property tax captures grew from $1 million to $3.5 million over the 10-year period, thereby creating lower net property tax revenue for the library to operate. And the library's property tax captures are expected to reach approximately $4.1 million by fiscal 2027. Next slide, please. The, the property tax capture is a product of tax increment financing. And in the state of Michigan, there's 10 different acts that can, uh, that, that's based on um, economic development initiatives that can impact libraries, and not just libraries. There's other taxing jurisdictions that are impacted by tax captures. The city of Detroit, Wayne County, Detroit Public Schools, Wayne County RESA. Uh, so there's other taxing jurisdictions that tax captures impact. It's not just the library, but when you look at the, tax, the impact of tax captures on Detroit as an example, we have other revenue sources that we can you know, rely on to help mitigate that impact. But with the library, they do not. Again, 92% of their revenue is from property taxes. So it hurts them. Um, and we'll get into that just a little bit more. Now, given that these tax increment financing authorities, uh, you got the Downtown Development Authority, because there's, there's three TIFA um, organizations that impact the library the most. It's the Downtown Development Authority, it's the Local Development Financing Act, and it's the Brownfield Redevelopment Financing Act. Next, next slide, please. Unfortunately, many of these uh, tax increment financing authorities have been in existence for a while. Fortunately, they have done great. The Downtown Development Authority has done tremendous work for, for the city of Detroit, especially in the downtown area. We have the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority, where we are remediating um, brownfields throughout the city of Detroit. And the whole city is considered a, a, a brownfield area. And so that you have different projects throughout the city that tax increment financing is helping. And the local development finance authority, TIFA, was for the Jefferson North Project. So those organizations do great work. But under state law, they have the right, these TIFA organizations have the right to capture property taxes. And they capture the increment property tax from the base revenue. So, um, and again, it's not just the libraries that, that this impacts, but it hurts the library because they cannot receive this money, the tax capture, and their revenue stream is not really growing. And they don't have other revenue sources 
like the city, you know, we have casino, casino tax revenue. We have utility user tax revenue. We have state revenue sharing. Well, library does get a little state sharing, uh, state sharing revenue, but it's small. It's like a million dollars. It's not a really a whole lot. And so it will require a state law change if tax captures were to be eliminated. And on top of that, under state law, as long as there are outstanding obligations, which are bonds, and so for the DDA, they issued back in um, 2018, primarily for the Little Caesars um, project, about $290 million in bonds for that project. Those bonds are scheduled to be outstanding until 2049, which means that for that long of a period, the DDA has the right to capture property taxes, not just from the library, say Detroit and Detroit Public Schools. It's just that the library does not have other major resources to fall on. Next slide, please. And when, you, and when you look at the tax captures that impact the library, 87% of those are captures from the, from the Downtown Development Authority. And again, those captures are pledged to help pay back the outstanding bonds on the DDA. Next slide, please. There's also uh, several tax incentives or tax abatements offered by the state of Michigan that reduces the property tax revenue. Again, we know a lot of these, um, NEZs, uh, obsolete property tax, property rehabilitation act, uh, commercial rehabilitation act, and so on. Next uh, slide, please. Now what is fortunate the library can receive property tax revenue and sometimes even more, even though there's a tax abatement because that property um, value of that particular project that's receiving the property tax incentive, the values are growing. And so over a period of time, the library can still receive more revenue. Um, and what we discovered from the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation there were 73 tax incentives or tax abatements um, that were impacting the library. And as of fiscal 2022, about 269,000 was going still to the library. By 2027, that's going to grow to 873,000. So that's going to inure to the benefit of the library. So again, it's showing that it's important that we incentivize economic development in the city of Detroit because it increases property values. And when those property values are increased, it also increases the library's property tax revenue. Now, city council, and you all know this, painstakingly deliver, deliberate over the cost benefits of the um, tax increment financing plans and the tax abatement projects that come before you for approval, making sure that the benefits 
benefits such as jobs, more income tax revenue. Because it's the income tax revenue that's generated from these jobs and from these businesses that offset the cost of these tax abatements and tax incentives. Next slide, please. Again, just reiterating, you know, just looking at their financial statements over 10 years, their property tax revenue, or actually their total revenue, which again, property tax revenue is a lion's share of that, but their total revenue was about 33 million. Um, the highest that we saw was about 35 million in 2016, but over the last five years of that 10 year period, the, the total, re total revenues dropped. So that's, that's, what, that's the conundrum that the library is facing. And because, and because of the struggle that the library um, deals with when it comes to limited resources, they've had to close branches. Um, at one time, the libraries had about 37 branches throughout the city. But whenever there was uh, recessions or what have you, you know, Unfortunately, many of, those, many of those libraries were closed down, and many of them have, have been demolished. Next slide, please. So during that 10-year period, pre-COVID-19, um, the library was compelled to operate 22 branches with about 300 uh, employees to provide the best services that, he, that they could. However, be, with those limited resources that I just uh, talked about, unfortunately, the library was compelled to deficit spend and use fund balance at times to maintain operations. But we know that this is not a way, this is, this is an, an unsustainable way of operating and the library cannot survive in the long run if it kept operating that way. And if total revenues do not grow substantially in the future, the library is gonna be forced to seriously look at right-sizing their operations on how they best provide library services. Um, I was able to get the latest financial statements, library's financial statements as of June 30, 22, and they did end up with a, about a $6 million uh, surplus for that year. Uh, half of that is from operations, and that's because they've, they've been operating at a lower level of service. And also, they received a uh, insurance recovery from that significant storm event back in June of 2021. Next slide, please. But during this 10-year uh, uh, review, the library spent approximately $19 million from their rainy day fund or fund balance on print and non-print materials, capital improvements. Again, the library only operated about 22 branches. Um, and, here's, and here's what I really need to emphasize. Even though in February 2009, 
the registered voters of the city of Detroit approved a bond authorization up to $97 million for museums, libraries, recreation, and other cultural institutions. And at the time, it was shared with the voters that up to $25 million of that $97 million bond authorization could be used for the libraries. But no general obligation bonds have been sold for the library since 2009. If the library was able to receive general obligation bond funds from the city throughout that period, they no doubt would not have had, had to spend so much of their rainy day fund on capital improvements, on print materials, and not print materials. And maybe could have avoided deficit spending um, at an earlier stage in their, in their existence over that 10-year period, period that we looked at. The last general obligation bond sold for the library was in August 2001 for about $3.5 million. That's over 20 years ago. And that sale was from a 1997 voter authorization. So that's even prior to the 2009 authorization. Next slide, please. We had a chance to look at the library's capital improvement plans, a five-year plan. And let's face it, we have library buildings, beautiful buildings, but many of them are 100 years old. The average age of the library buildings is 57 years old, which means that most of their buildings require extensive repairs and upgrades. Regular and timely maintenance will allow the library to utilize its facilities to the fullest extent as possible. And we're going to talk about um, a recommendation regarding the capital improvements uh, later on. Their five-year, their, their most recent five-year capital plan totals about $9 million. And that's to maintain the current infrastructure and does not include any new instruction, uh, I'm sorry, new construction or expansion plans. These projects are anticipated to be paid for with funding from operations or from their rainy day fund. Because there, again, there's no anticipation of them receiving general obligation um, bonds from the city. Now, to be fair to the city, the last general obligation bond on sale was 2020. Right now, the city has no plans to go to the market and sell bonds because of the volatility in the bond market. Interest rates, as we know, are very high. And so it's just not feasible for the city to go into the bond market to sell bonds at this current time. But hopefully the recession, um, if, if there is a recession, hopefully it's a mild one, and hopefully it's, it's short-lived. And hopefully the market will correct itself such that the city will get back to a point where it can sell bonds. Right now, there's $21 million remaining from that $97 million bond authorization. Um, and uh, that's not a lot of money, obviously. So, and the administration, if they go back out in the market and sell 
the 20, $21 million in bonds. You know, we have other needs. We have, you know, fleet needs. We have, the city has um, infrastructure, buildings and whatnot, uh, police stations and fire stations and a host of, of needs. And so um, it's our hope that the administration is going to consider the library in that, in that sale. But $21 million is not a lot of money. So, which means that we know that at some point, capital improvements continue to be, need to be made for the city of Detroit. And so in future bond sales, we're hoping that the administration will consider um, bond sales that's going to help the Detroit Public Library. Fortunately, with council's approval in 2022, just to remind you, $4 million um, was, that's $40 million from general fund surplus money, was approved by your honorable body to help the library's main, um, main library primarily with their HIVAC system. Next, next, next slide, please. So here we looked at the projections that um, Councilman Benson asked us to look at. We looked at three scenarios. The first scenario is, a, is the scenario that's currently baked in the four year 2023-2026 financial, um, four, four year financial plan. Under that scenario, again, the library is looking to reopen 11 branches which means that there'll be a total of 18 branches, one being the main library and 17 uh, branches throughout the neighborhoods. Next slide, please. And so when you look at this scenario, unfortunately, the library has to dip into their rainy day fund to the tune of 3 million to maybe up to 3.5 million over that four year period to maintain operations or to provide capital improvements for their, for their branches. Next slide, please. The second scenario that we looked at, we know that the property tax revenue for the library is going to increase somewhat by a million dollars over uh, a four year period 2023 through 2026 because of the latest revenue estimating um, conference that was conducted back in September. So based on those updated revenue assumptions, property tax revenue is going to increase and the library is going to benefit to about an extra million dollars a year from that. Also, starting in fiscal 2024, the library's pension obligation is going to reduce from $2.6 million a year down to just $100,000. That's because over the 10-year um, plan of adjustment that we entered into coming out of bankruptcy, the library um, was, was um, mandated to accelerate their payments their pension payments into the pension system, the general retirement system. By them doing that, their um, pension liability is going to be paid off. It's going to go to zero, basically, starting in 2024. 
the hundred thousand dollars just for administrative expenses. So when you look at that, that's a a, a, a greater wiggle room of about three and a half million dollars. And based on that scenario, when you look at this chart right here, only in 2023, we think the library needs to dip into their rainy day fund of, of about 2.3 million. From 2024 through, through 2026, they do not need to dip into, into their rainy day fund under this scenario. Next slide, please. Which means that, and, and let me say this, because again, I was able to get their uh, latest financial statements as of June 30, 2022. So their fund balance from 2021 to 2022 increased by about $6 million. So it went from $26 million to about $31.6 million. If they can just dip into their rainy day fund by $2 million, $2.3 million, they will have about $29 million in their rainy day fund. They could cover their current capital improvement plan of $9 million and still have about $20 million in their rainy day fund. That's still a pretty healthy rainy day fund. A healthy rainy day fund, according to in the industry standards, it's about 15%. This is uh, over 70%. So it would, be a, it would be very healthy if they can, you know, land right there. Okay, last scenario. Next slide, please. Now, the last scenario, the, the uh, property tax revenue, again, increases by about a million dollars a year. Their um, pension expense decreases about 2.4 million, 2.5 million a year. However, according to the uh, Library Commission's um, meeting in, in this past October, their proposed budget for the upcoming fiscal year was presented. And based on that proposed budget, they're looking to open up two more branches which means that would be 20 branches with the main library and with the mobile library. And when they do that, let's go to the next slide. They unfortunately go back into that deficit spending mode. So we're looking at, you know, um, on this slide, uh, about maybe seven columns to the, to the right where you see estimated contribution from DPL's fund balance. You know, not only 2.3 million in 2023, 2024, they're gonna to need to go into the rainy day fund about $3 million in 2024, 2.5 million in 2025, and 3 million in 2026. So you're getting back to that deficit mode of spending which again is unsustainable. So I wanna to go to, let's go to um, two slides and we'll get to the recommendations to wrap this up. One more, okay, thank you. 
we have a total of 17 recommendations in our report. Um, there's about 12 of them listed here. They all are important. Um, but, you know, just to kind of condense it a little bit, um, we got 12 of them here. You go ahead and condense it. And, <laughs> and yeah, I'm about to wrap up. Thank you. And um, we're urging the administration to, again, include them in their capital improvement plan. Um, we are strongly urging the Detroit Public Library commissioners to conduct a capital needs assessment um, um, plan or study, rather study, because they need to know what's the true cost of their needs with their infrastructure, with the main library and their branches in particular. Next slide, please. And because scenario two was more favorable, we're suggesting that the library commissioners reconsider their vote to approve the proposed budget for 2024, which again, puts them back in that deficit spending mode. Next slide, please. We um, ask that the city council consider passing a resolution supporting the renewal of the library millage. And if the council were to approve the District of Detroit project, the $1.5 billion project that's before you, we know if that were to pass and all those projects occur, that's going to increase the level of property values in the downtown area. So therefore, we think that's an opportunity for the Downtown Development Authority to enter into a, an, uh, an agreement, a profit sharing agreement, or a property tax revenue sharing agreement with the library, as the DDA did for the Little Caesars um, Arena project back in 2017. And they, uh, the library receives 100% of the property tax revenue from the new Catalyst project area. Um, so it's just that, it's that one area where the where arena is sitting right now, and the library does capture taxes from that area, about $200,000 a year. Next slide, please. <clears throat> um, we ask that the city's Office of Grants, the, the Housing Revitalization Department, and the Communication and Media Services Department provide more su support to library, especially Office of Grants. We, we, you know, just in our research, there's a number of grants, especially at the federal level, um, that could be made available to the Trade Public Library, and we feel that Office of Grants can help them in that effort. The last recommendation, we feel that the Duggan administration and the city council need to collectively determine if a restructuring of the governance structure, the Trade Public Library, such as providing city appointment authority on the Library Commission, will give the mayor and the city council greater comfort in providing a city subsidy to library or providing more significant public capital investment in the library. But as we mentioned in our report, any change in the governance structure 
of the library would, re would require state legislation change. In conclusion, um, again, it's, we think it's been remarkable on the level of services that our library has provided with their limited resources. Unfortunately, they've had a diminution to the rainy day fund. They cannot continue to do that. Um, next slide. It's imperative that um, the four mills is renewed 2026, and we feel that the city of Detroit can become a stronger partner with the library, and hopefully can also include the philanthropic community to make the library, the Detroit Public Library, a higher priority that it deserves to become a strong library system for decades to come. So that's it. Thank you for your, I know that's a long one, but again, it's been a long time since such a report for the library has been done. And again, thanks again for, for Councilman Benson asking us to do this. We thought it was, it was deserving for the library to get this level of attention. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. Excellent report as always, sir. We appreciate it. <laughs> <clears throat> Do my colleagues have any questions? Yes. Chair recognizes Vice Chairwoman Galloway. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you for this outstanding report. Um, I, I want to say I'm sorry. Miss Short. And Miss uh, yeah. Short. Thank you. I know you co-authored it. Thank you so <laughs> much. Thank you, Miss Short. Thank you, Miss Short and Mr. Corley for this outstanding report. Of course, I have a ton of questions that I know can't be answered or asked today. But, you know, I don't know how we can expect the library to really stand on its own when we're capturing their taxes. We, the people, I've been in the city my entire life. I grew up in the libraries. My children who were born in Detroit, we need all of our libraries open. The black folks in this city, we approve every millage if it's attached to a Detroit public library just for those dollars to be captured by the DDA and TIFA, if we knew up front that those tax dollars would be captured by the DDA and TIFA, we wouldn't approve those millages. We don't approve those millages for them to be captured by the DDA and TIFA. And as I've been on the council for the last year, I'm understanding more of all of this. And to me, we say that our property values have increased by 20%. I think that's in the news this week. And then in your report, we talk about um, the property taxes. Um, you said, unfortunately, this is, my pages are page five. Unfortunately, diminishing property values, which they're not diminishing in our city, reduce property tax revenues based on a library millage. So our property values in the city are not diminishing, and they certainly are not diminishing in downtown and midtown. So that's not, that's not necessarily um, accurate. If the DDA is capturing tax dollars, we have the main library, and I think the Skillman Library in that area, I would ask that the DDA subsidize the maintenance of those libraries since they're in that area and they're capturing their tax out, they're capturing the taxes already. So why, instead of coming to the city for a $3.5 million subsidy, that $3.5 million subsidy request should be sent directly to the DDA, DDA who's capturing these taxes 
to build the um, Little Caesars Arena that the average retorter doesn't even use. We don't, we don't go down there. We can't even afford the parking down there. We might go to a concert every now and then. And I'm speaking for myself and the folks that I know. So instead of coming to the city or making that recommendation for the $3.5 million subsidy, that request should be going to the DDA. And so I have quite a few other concerns, uh, quite a few other questions, um, but um, we can't expect for them to do what they're meant, to, the libraries to do what they're supposed to do if we're steadily um, taking from them. You know, and, and I just don't, it's just like um, insanity. And then uh, $290 million in bonds to build the LCA. It, it, this is just, uh, it's unbelievable. And to see it in writing, and then we don't want them to dip in their rainy day fund, but we're forcing them to dip in their rainy day fund because we're handcuffing them. So I will fight for the libraries, I will fight for their independence, and I will fight that, uh, uh, um, uh, that we stop allowing the D, um, DDA and TIFA to c capture their tax dollars. So, I, I mean, you know, and then to say on page 25 in the year 2023 that they will have to capture 2.3% um, um, from their rainy day fund just to, you know, to use the dollars for what, I don't know, because this is a lengthy report. But I absolutely don't believe that we have to come to the city for that subsidy that you mentioned on page 30 when the DDA can easily subsidize the very entity it's taking money from. It's not taking, capturing money, diverting money, using money. And then on page 33, it's very concerning for me, seven and eight. Eight, I guess, is your, is your recommendation that we uh, support District Detroit with more tax abatements and incentives. I totally disagree with that. Uh, and so, you know, this is a very lengthy report. I'm going to dive um, deeper into with my staff. Um, I like some of your recommendations. Um, the, the couple that I do like, um, let's see, I think it was six. Uh, no, it was nine, 10, and 11. I totally support those recommendations. I absolutely do not support 12 on page 34. I absolutely do not support 38 um, and 7 on page 33. And I guess we'll have a more robust conversation when the entire council has an opportunity to look at this report, which is an amazing, very um, informative and you know, educational report for, for me. Um, I consider my, myself a non-politician, layperson, taxpayer who loves their libraries and will fight to the end to make sure they retain their independence and I hope we don't go back to the people for a military renewal because I'm going to be on TV telling them why they should vote it down because when we vote those millages up, that money is being diverted to build the Little Caesars Arena. So thank you, Ms. Short. Thank you, Mr. Corley, for this amazing report. Of course, you know, I'm going to read it, um, you know, again and again and again. But again, my last request to you, Mr. Corley, is there any reason why the DDA can't subsidize the DPL, the DPL, because we have two branches in the downtown area, Skillman and the Main. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Mr. Corley. Thank you, Ms. Short. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Corley, did you want to 
answer those questions, or do you want to come back? And I also want to correct myself, Mr. Head. He stuck his head in there. Too. Yeah, I, I was wondering, <laughs> Mr. Head. I'm like, I know Mr. Head had to have something. To do with this. Every time I get an email, it's a report about a taxes. Mr. Head is like a part of it. I'm like, I'm like, did y'all give him the time off? I gotta be right. I gotta be right. Were you resting your superstar for this report, or is he doing something else? What's happening here? Um, right. So, the uh, city council approves whenever there's an amendment to the DDA tax increment financing plan on how those dollars are used. Unfortunately, amendments only happen when there's new develop, when there's a major new development in the downtown um, development um, area. So amendments do not come, you know, every year to city council. So council will have to make a request to downtown development authority and their board to consider making a change to their TIF plan to include monies to go towards the Skillman um, Library and, and, and the mayor. So, you know, you have to, you have to work with their board and, and see what happens. Yeah. yeah um, no, no, Mr. Chair, so is there anybody from LPD? Because I'd like to officially request that we um, put together a resolution, um, you know, making this request because they're capturing <clears throat> money from the entity that they can easily subsidize we're just the dpl when the request is made because i'm going to make the request we're simply asking to have some of our money back we want 3.5 million dollars of our money back to subsidize the entity that you are capturing slash diverting it from in the first place and and, and mr chair my last question would be um and so if my staff can remember to write that question down to LPD, we're going to, you know, officially request this. How much, Mr. Corley, and you may not be able to answer this question today, but in the last decade slash 10 years, how much has the DDA and TIFA captured in taxes from the libraries, from the DPL? The last decade, because this is like a 10-year financial review. Looking back over the last 10 years, how much have they captured? So, Mr. Chair, we do have a schedule mm -hmm. in our report, one of our attachments, that lists all of the captures um, going back to 2009, I believe. What page? So that, 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 would be in, that would be in the big report, you know, in our, in our big report. So, so in, the, in the full report. And it's one of the attachments. I don't have that full report, but I'm sure I'll be able to get a copy yeah. before the end of this session. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Um, thank you, Mr. Corley, and thank you, Mr. Chair. You have this report? No, I don't have it. Okay. If I got it, I didn't download it. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Dr. Powers, did you want to say something? Um, yes, sir. I'm sure you're going to say this, but um, if... Council Member Callaway wants LPD to do an assignment. You need to have a motion at the table to do to uh, give it to LPD. Yes. Th thank, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Dr. Power. So um, I motion um, for LPD to um, um, draft a resolution um, asking whether or not the DDA can subsidize the DPL to the tune of $3.5 million, which is listed in this report. And how does that, how would that recommendation look? And um, I'm sure they will um, tweak my, um, my, um, my request, but that is my, my motion, uh, Mr. Chair. 
Okay, motion's been made. Are there any objections? Hearing none, motion passes. Any other questions? Comments or concerns? Okay, I have a couple. First of all, excellent report. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to just, uh, first of all, ask, um, kind of piggyback off of uh, the report that we just passed, um, but for Member Callaway, I just wanted to ask, uh, Vice Chairman Callaway, excuse me, I just wanted to ask, does that violate, uh, I think it's the People v. Llewellyn, in terms of us violating, maybe law department can answer this, but in terms of state law that precludes us from being able to pass laws that would interfere with laws that they pass or regulate or enter into sphere of regulations that they passed. I'm not saying it's it's the bad idea. I just want to know if, if we pass a resolution like that, is that does it have to stay in resolution form? Or could it go to being an actual ordinance? Does the city have the authority to be able to do that? Yeah, Mr. Chair, uh, I would greatly appreciate you referring that question to Mr. Whitaker okay. in the law department. Okay. It's more of a legal. Because that's my question. I don't want to, like, you know, engage in something and get started on something and find that legally you can't be able to do it. When that's a conversation we should probably have with um, Member Durhall, who is leading um, and shaping the policies that we're going to shape when we go to Lansing anyway. Because I think a lot of these conversations, from what I'm understanding, we're having is going to be something that's going to be solved in the state level in terms of TIFAs and how that, and, 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 and in that regard. I think um, to Member Callaway's point, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you this big report because what you were talking about with the um, LCA is a good question. But according to what I just read um, in the LCA, there was an opportunity for the library in 2013 to be able to opt out of the DDA, but they decided not to. And there was an agreement that was made that the money that would go to them from tax capture, that the LCA area would not capture that. They would leave that with the library. That's what I read in this big report. So I'm going to get that to you so you can see that. That's an excellent question, but I just want to see if they answer that in their report. So, so, so they're listening to you. They're hearing what you're, so yes. they're hearing what you're saying. And then, Mr. Mr. Go ahead. Go Mr. ahead. Chair, Did you want to comment on that? Go ahead. Yeah, Mr. Chair, on that note, I'd like to see if we can get our lobbyists in here or maybe communicate, because you, you served in Lansing for a number of years um, with distinction, I might add, um, and our state reps, because we need to revisit this um, this piece. And uh, I'm talking about um, some of the information that's on page 13, because I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, and some of this is you know, quite complicated for my comprehension. Um, but um, I'd like to see what our lobbyists can do to help us at the state level and our state reps and all of our representatives in the state of Michigan with respect to these um, tax, tax captures. Um, and it's hurting our Detroit library system and hurting um, our black families. Thank you, Mr. Chair. No, no problem. I think from my understanding, there's going to be a conversation about that. I don't think it would be in front of this committee. But I definitely think that we will, as a body, be able to go to Lansing at some point. I think we're going to have a conversation with our lobbyists about that at our point. I think there's conversations that we need to have with ourselves about the agenda first. Then there's conversations we need to have with the with the administration. I don't want to do all that here. But I think there's some things we have to kind of work out before we get there. But eventually we will get there, and I think we'll get those questions in one way or another. I don't think that will be in this platform, but I think we will have those questions eventually. Um, I just wanted to let you know. Um, sorry, I want to let you know. Want to ask you, why is it the executive director of the Detroit Public Library making this presentation or presenting with you, especially since she has seen it and is ultimately responsible for the operation of the Detroit Public Library? 
So you're, I'm sorry. So you're yeah, I'm just listening. asking. You, you know, where has has the executive? Have you, have you reached out to the executive director? Has she reached out to you at all? So I have um, worked on Mr. Chair, um, largely with her CFO. Okay. Um, Mr. Antonio Brown says this is primarily a financial report. Yeah. Um, we did though um, send questions to uh, Ms. Madowney, and she um, very nicely responded to a lot of our questions, and some of those responses are embedded in our report, in our, our large report. Uh, so that way, I haven't talked to her personally. Yeah. We did get responses on to our, okay. many of our questions. You know, I just like to see what they have to say, you know, or a representative, you know what I mean? You know, just to see what they have to say, because they're responsible for this ultimately, and they're making these decisions. And so I just wanted to see what they have to say, what they think about it, what their input is on these recommendations, you know, which I think is excellent work. You know what I'm saying? I think it's just I would like to see more of that. I, I, I also wanted to ask you about the property taxes issue. I think what you're saying is a good thing. I think the issues that I have is on the tax foreclosure side of it. Um, I think if you're really going to talk about the impact on public libraries, you also have to talk about the impact of the housing market, whether it's tax foreclosures, whether it was, um, I think it was the uh, subprime lending, the subprime loans during the Great Recession. And nationally, 27% of the loans were subprime. In Detroit, it was 62%. So, I mean, you're talking about entire generations of people who had their housing taken away from them, either through mortgage foreclosure or, you know, because of predatory loans or through tax foreclosure. And so obviously that's going to hurt your property taxes on top of high property taxes that we have on top of nationally. I think black houses are even when you account for crime and you account for neighborhoods and you account for the structure and they, you account the structure of the building on average are $48,000 less than their white counterparts across. Cause it's like over $160 billion is being extracted from the black community as a whole. And we're the blackest city in America. So I think these are type, were, were these type of factors also included in terms of why the library is where it is? I mean, I'm not saying we can have the debate about taxes, and things and captures. We should. I'm just saying we need to have an overall picture of how we got here. Because there's a reason why we rely more on income tax as a whole than we rely on property tax. Now, I think we're going to address that, you know, with the uh, land value taxation proposal. That's a little bit later on down the line in the state, you know, where land is where property taxes are based more on the land value than on property and its additions. But um, I think th was that ever discussed as a whole in terms of, um, you know, what impact that's had on the library funding at all? That is a whole. Um, I can only say that you're right, you know, coming out of the Great Recession in 2007, 2008, we took a, we, the city tried to take a huge hit yeah. in property tax revenue. Um, and like we're, still, we're still recovering. We're still recovering. So so you're right. And, and that's another reason why it was so important for the city to diversify its revenue sources because now – Private taxes is about 12, 13% of the city's general fund budget. Yeah. You know, because we're relying on income tax revenue, so on and so forth. Um, other cities rely much, much more heavily right. on private tax revenue. Isn't it almost like half in like some cities, like some you, cities, like yes. 50% somewhere in that mark? Yeah. 
So from that perspective, the fact that we have diversified our revenue sources has helped the city. Um, but you're right, prior to the Great Recession, you know, we had recessions, you know, either further back, you know, all those hurt the city of Detroit when it comes to the level of property taxes that it received. Yeah, yeah I, I read a report one, it was like $500 million was like extracted from the city of Detroit during that period. Wow. You know, it, it was like a lot. So I so I just want to know did that um, tie to taking place and plus the racial aspect as well you know I mean that's something that's important you know nationally in terms of appraisals and things of that nature yeah so I just I, I just wanted to ask that also this and this is my final question I wanted to ask just about property taxes I kind of touched on it as a whole I think Detroit's property tax rates is like the fifth highest compared to cities of its size in like the nation I think um, has there been any discussion in terms of tax relief i mean i i'm sure we haven't discussed the land value taxation portion of it but has there been any discussion in terms of potentially tax relief that would actually be able to have more economic stimulus from the property tax standpoint as a whole that could bring more people into the city that will then be able to provide more money to the land to the um to the uh libraries and, and i'm not trying to say we should build like a regressive tax structure I'm just saying, just in terms of that aspect, because it's like the fifth. It's you. I just don't think you can have a, a tax system that's that high. You have this many people leaving the city, and you have people who are making on average like you know thirty one thousand, not thirty four thousand dollars a year. You, you understand what I'm saying? You know, I don't think that's sustainable long term. Has there been that discussion at all? So, especially since um, only four, 13, 12 percent of our budget. At the time, President Pro Tem Sheffield asked the um, LPD to do a report on the ill effect of the high property tax rate in the city of Detroit. So I'm gonna recirculate that report for you. It's, it's also yeah. pretty enlightening. And you will see in that report, you look at Grand Rapids, their tax tax rates is about half mm -hmm. the city of Detroit. And they're, they're growing, their property tax values are, grow, are growing. Their population is growing. Wow. Um, they're diversified, you know, and so on and so forth, but their population is growing property tax values are growing. So I'm going to recirculate that report. I think it will um, in, in, in enlighten you and give you some of the answers that you're looking for. We, we looked at, you're right, uh, City Detroit, when it comes to real property and commercial property, it has one of the highest tax, you know, uh, rates I, in, in the country. I think commercially, I think it's like one, one, it's one of the highest, if not the highest, I think, commercially. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, think, I think it's like per 100,000 people or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to ask you this. Has there ever has there been an analysis in terms of the number of tax dollars that we would receive per person who is either educated with a high school diploma, a college diploma, or in the skilled trades? Has that has there been an analysis in terms of how much money that would bring in to the city of Detroit at all? Not to my knowledge. Um, and then how much of that money, you know, would be potentially yeah. capped for the, for the for the library? Because I think that's the purpose of the library is education. Yeah. And that's the you know, it's extension of the schools. And so it's like, you know, if you're educating a child, you know, it's nice to know how much, the, you know, in tax revenue that would be. I just think that's, you know, quantifiable because we can quantify unemployment. I'm trying to get the numbers locally. I haven't got them yet. But I know nationally it's like $50 billion. It costs the country every year annually for black male unemployment in the country. Hmm. So it's like, do we have a numbers of breakdown in terms of like what how, a person who's educating the city of Detroit, how much tax dollars that is on average? 
if they're in a skilled trade, how much tax dollars is that on average that will come into the city potentially? Yeah, I would think like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, a national organization might have some statistics on that. Okay. That might be a, a, a good um, uh, request from the OCFO. They, they have in their Office of Budget an economic forecasting group, and they have economists in that group, and they may be able to share some light on that. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I'll, I'm, I won't do that here, but I'll make sure I'll do that for my office. We make a request because I want to get the wording right before I make that request. <clears throat> That's all the questions I have. Is there any other questions? Uh, Chair, recognize Member Callaway. Yeah. Um, Vice just, Chair Callaway. Yeah, just a couple of things. And, you know, I love Grand Rapids. Um, and they don't give out as nearly ta as many tax abatements as we do. And they're growing. They're thriving. They have a beautiful downtown. So we have to rethink the way we uh, award these tax abatements. My question is, or I guess I don't even know if I need to make a motion. Maybe Dr. Powers through the chair can let me know. But I'd like to line item this discussion with the director of the library, Ms. Mondowney, um, maybe a representative from the DDA, if not the director, and um, you, Mr. Corley. So should a motion be made, Mr. Chair, um, to Dr. Powers to line item this for discussion at formal session? I, I'm sorry, I, I, I support it. I just want to say, and, and forgive my confusion, this doesn't impact the receiving and filing of the report, right? This is, some, this is, this, this is something different, right? This is just for us to have a discussion on this topic, right? Yeah. Am I, am I correct? Mm -hmm. Dr. Powers, um, am, am I correct it, when I say that? Yes, yes, sir. Um, but if you wanted me to answer Member Callaway's question, I can do that. Please. Um, if you, Member Callaway, if you are asking for there to be a discussion at formal session, um, to be put on the calendar would be the decision of the president. I would suggest you send a memo with what you would like and who you would like to attend the discussion, and then it would be up to her to put it onto the formal session calendar. Um, if you're asking for a discussion in this committee, then um, all you, you need to do is request that through the chair, and it would be up to the chair when he would schedule it, if that answers the question. It does for me. Thank you, Dr. Powers. Thank you, Mr. You're chair. welcome. Thank you, Dr. Powers. And Mr. Chair? Uh, yes. Um, uh, Mr. Gorley. Um, Councilmember Callaway can consider also inviting the DDA, you know, DDC representative. Um, Mr. Um, through the chair, may I? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, Mr. Corley, I said line item this discussion, um, and the um, invitees would be someone from the DDA, okay. yourself, and the director, executive director of the library. And if I, there's anyone else you believe should be invited. Um, the we, OCFO, uh, Mr. Rising, you know, um, Chief Financial Officer, we want to hear from him, I, I would think. So, yes. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you. you, Mr. Chair. Do we also want to have the law department in that discussion as well? Just so we can kind of make sure that we're legally on the right path here. Yeah. Did you want to say, sir? Yeah, yeah. Uh, through the chair, Graham Anderson, Law Department. I, I know you had the earlier question, uh, Councilmember Young, regarding uh, the legality of the resolution to get the 3.5 million back uh, through the DDA. If you could just get that question in writing to the Law Department, we can get ahead of things. So when we do get to formal discussion, we'll be more up to speed on that. Excellent. We'll do. Yep. Thank you. All right, that be uh, Mr. Head. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, um, Mr. Chair, um, if you'd like, we can certainly take this up with the council president and you know make that suggestion that we sure. have a committee of a whole on this particular topic. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I think committee whole be great. What, did you want to say something? Yeah, uh, Mr. Chair. Chair, like, recognize Vice Chair Wynne Thank you so much. Since it's my request, um, I'm very oh, comfortable with um, going to the council president. If you'd like to um, go with me, Mr. Head, you're welcome to. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Chair. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Hey, you want to respond to that? Mr. Chair, yeah. by no means <laughs> do I mean that, <laughs> that I have to usurp Councilmember yeah. Whitfield Conway. Uh, um, so Mr. if you're Mr. going Chair. to it, that's fine. Yeah, I was, I was, I was wondering, Mr. Head, uh, Dr. Powers. Yes. Um, it's really not necessary to actually physically go to the president unless, of course, you want to, but simply a memo um, requesting uh, that she schedule a committee of the whole on this topic and include who would be invited would would suffice. So and, and Mr. Head, of course, um, uh, doesn't have to tag along, if you will. <laughs> So, but um, it, it would come, of course, from Member Callaway. <laughs> Chair recognizes Member Pinson. And I just hope that of the invitees, DPSCD will also be invited. And what I, I'm hoping that we don't neglect or eliminate them as the governing, having responsibility for appointing the governing body and for chairing the commission as well as having a level of responsibility in the health and future of our library. Absolutely. Peter? Okay. That's it. Is there any other questions? Yep. Chair, Chair recognizing Mr. Benson. Thank you. I have a number of questions. I'm going to ask some here today, and I've got something to say about this. Number one, thank you. Number two, thank you. This is an exhaustive report on the current status financially of the library, a history of the library as well as its financial health over the years, and future projections of the library's health. We initially, I initially asked for this for September of last year, but I am more, I was very supportive of the request that came from LPD to take more time to put the brain damage necessary to provide a report of this nature and level. The fact that LPD worked hand in hand with the library leadership. I've personally spoken with the executive director on numerous occasions, personally spoken with their CFO, Mr. Brown, as well. And to know, as a result of this report being released last week, the Library Commission has reviewed this report and they've spoken about it. The executive director library has reviewed this report and spoken about it. The CFO from the library, Detroit Public Library, has reviewed this and spoken about it. And I will say, not everybody's happy. I will say that it's received as a fair and necessary report for the future of the library. I will say, as a person who requested this report, I am also not in 100% agreement but I am very, very happy that it was done. Now, my disagreement, I believe, and I know for a fact, is going to be different from the executive director of DPLs, but still, having this is huge. And we both agree on this, as per our conversation this week, that this is going to spur a conversation about how we move forward 
with the Detroit Public Library, and we both agree that sans significant changes moving forward, including the renewal of a millage, the library may not be able to survive past its 170th birthday. It is now over 160 years old, which is a testament to the staying power of the DP, of DPL and its need here in the city of Detroit. Sands significant changes in the structure and the financial, rev, financial and revenues of DPL, it will not make it past its 170th birthday. So when we talk about this report, number one, one of my biggest concerns is that DPSCD is not part of this report. They have governance. They chair the Library Commission. The Library Commission, as per this report, sets the annual budget. We don't have a say. Our own charter encourages the city of Detroit to support the library financially. Yet, we don't have a say in how that budget is prepared, nor how those dollars are spent on a day-to-day -day basis. We do, as per the opinion from our own law department in November, and I encourage all of my colleagues to read that opinion, we at this table, during the budget process, have the ability to make line item budget changes to the library as if it were a city of Detroit department. I'll say that again. We have the power as Detroit City Council to change their budget and then approve it once it gets to this table. Now, that means that we're doing something to a budget after the cake has been baked. I'd much rather be making changes of this nature once we are baking the cake. It makes it much easier. It makes us part of those conversations, which then segues to the need for a governance modification. The expectation is that we will give our general fund dollars to the library, which is what happened in the past until they had a millage. We were giving up to 50% of their operating budget from our general fund. The city of Detroit, while having budget surpluses today, has had deficits in the past. We have had payless paydays here in the city of Detroit. So I, I don't want that to be lost on people. Don't forget that we often, and in the future, may have significant cash flow issues, and we had significant cash flow issues upon the start of COVID. We had a 40, was it $400 million deficit that year, and the fact that we have a robust, uh, robust rainy day fund allowed us to minimize, not eliminate, minimize layoffs, minimize furloughs. So we also have to think that our general fund should be protected and we need to prioritize the city of Detroit first, which is why we don't have many of the, the nice institutions we used to have. Eastern Market is no longer completely ours. Detroit Zoo no longer completely ours. And we're going to be asking as a board member for the Charles H. Wright and the Detroit Historic Society, asking the voters for a millage over two counties to help subsidize and remove the burden from our own general fund for the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History as well as the Detroit Historic Society. We have to be thinking about this as well. At the same time, for the Charles H. Wright, we appoint every board member, the city of Detroit, the mayor does, to that board. We don't, and they come to this body as well with a budget which we can change, and we also support them in many different ways. We don't have that same level of responsibility nor authority with the, with the Detroit Public Library. We have to think about how we move forward with the library. Right now, 
the capital improvements for the library, if we think about 20 libraries, hundreds of years, hundreds, over 100 years old in certain situations, just the amount of deferred maintenance in the main library, that is a gem, and it would be a shame for it to go dark, but it has to be upwards of $50 million. And if you look at libraries that created that were built over 70 years ago, they can't be updated to become barrier-free. They can't serve our um, ADA community the way that we need to. And it's just at a certain point, those buildings become obsolete, which then asks, do we need to demo some of these old buildings and build new so that we can provide the services required and deserving of our residents? We deserve the best and should provide the best. We should not settle for second best in the city of Detroit, and we have in the past. Right now, some of those libraries, branches may not be providing the level that could be. And the Library Commission, as well as the Executive Director and Leadership, they want to provide the best, and I want them to provide the best as well. And so when we talk about um, old bonds that could have been sold, so I, I advocated for that four years ago, when I, I knew that we had that outstanding ability, and it's not up to my, this is not my decision, but I've advocated for that in the past and continue to advocate for that. If we sold those bonds to the people that some of that would go to the library, then let's, let's honor that. In the future, if you don't want to give money to the library, then don't use them to sell your bonds at the uh, ballot box. If we're going to use a library's name to sell a, a, a ballot, Absolutely. then we need to give them some money. Absolutely. In addition, everybody loves to come to the city of Detroit. The library, Detroit Public this is not ours. This is not our entity. This is a very unique hybrid entity. It has governance by the Detroit public school system, which gives them very little money, if any at all. Mm -hmm. It is, we're responsible as the city of Detroit, yet we don't have any governance. So it's a very unique model, which I believe needs to be changed. 160 years, if we're not going to make any changes, it may not see 170. We also need to be looking at how we make the investments for capital improvement. We don't have an updated capital improvement assessment. We have a capital improvement plan that says $9 million, which is not going to get what we need. $9 million gets sucked up at the main library in probably 10 minutes. And with inflation having been in double digits over the last two years, it, it's a nine-digit, over $100 million worth of capital improvements that the Detroit Public Library will need. And we may need to look at brand-new branches throughout the city. Also, we have in 19... 50, we were at 1.8 million people with 30, I believe, 30-something branches. We are now at 700,000. I'm being very generous there. And we're looking to open back up to 20 branches. Do we need to be looking at some right-sizing? If we go to 20 branches, at that point, now we're looking at deficit spending again, and we don't have the ability to make that budget. We have the ability to stop it once it gets to this table, but we don't have the ability to make that budget. And I want to make that very clear. And... <clears throat> Are the general fund surplus dollars being spent efficiently by the library? If their general fund, which if you scaled out their general fund surplus to for the city of Detroit's budget, that would be close to a billion dollar surplus if we we're the city of Detroit. They're almost at 100%. That's huge. Now, I'm glad for them, but are those dollars being expended efficiently with their if their board, basically their city council equivalent, is telling them, let's deficit spending and dig into those dollars versus having a right-sized budget that can support their revenues. And, and then I wanted this last point, yeah, Mr. Chair. I know, I know I've been going up. on. Been this is also a very weighty on a tear. report. 
very weighty, and it took a long time to get here, and this is not something new, but we have to address this, and I know the library is ready to do that. I've had conversations with the PSCD board members. They're ready to start having some conversations, and I've had conversations with the executive branch here, and they are ready to have conversations as well, but we have to be realistic. When we talk about the DDA capture, that is not the library's money. We like to say that. It's not their money. And in fact, the fact that it's so heavily identified here, I think still skews the argument. That's not their money. State law dictates that capture. And Mr. Corden's report indicates as well that we modified how we do accounting in the city because of that fact. It's not their money. That Those monies that have increased are a direct result of having a DDA. If you wiped out the DDA, those $4.1 million in captures that we take wouldn't be there, but that reduction in their revenues would be there. That, those, that's that red herring. The DDA capture, without a DDA, that money wouldn't be there. So to, to say that that's, that that's their money and, there is, and it's not going into their balance sheet, they never see those dollars. What they do see, and I can, be, and I can understand the frustration, is you see all this money crossing the table. Technically, I should, I should be able to jump in there, but it's not my money. I, I'm mad at the fact that I see this money crossing the table that I can't capture. It's not my money. And once we start talking about let's remove the library, where's Wayne Rissa? I want, I want my money back too. Where's the school bro? I want my money back too. And goes back to this is a state issue. This is a state law. People love to come to us and say it's our problem. No, it's a state law. Talk to the state. And the library, as my recommendation, hired lobbyists because they needed that. And that was done at this table. Once we heard from Ms. Muldowney saying, hey, we want more money because of this capture. Ms. Muldowney, this is state law. Please get some lobbyists and then go to the state and lobby for yourselves because you have to do that. And what did they do? They took my recommendation and did it. You, 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 you got a question or anything you want to add in there? Well, now? no, I don't have questions. Okay. Well, I, I've, I've asked my questions. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, when my colleagues see this, that we'll recognize it's not our money. And am I correct there, Mr. That that's not we their do, money. We do say that, Mr. Chair, and before. Unfortunately, we do say that it's yeah. not their money. It's just that before the DDAs and the Brownfields, okay. it was their money. Mm -hmm. But, but it, you know, it goes back, obviously, decades. But it, at one time, it was their money. And so now, yeah. when those um, state laws were created to incentivize economic development yeah. and all of that, then they started taking their money. So. We also have to recognize that without the DDA, that development wouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. So without the development being there, we don't see an increase, and you don't see that money crossing the table. So I, I think we really have to have a more robust conversation. We've got to get DPSCD to the table as well. And we have to talk about how we move the library forward, because yeah. according to your report, it, it will, it does not have a sustainable trajectory if we continue to keep libraries open and not look to right size and then not look to how we can support differently. And four mills is one of the largest taxes on our property tax bill. Four mills is a, is a huge capture if you look at it. Not many other, not many other entities have tax captures that size, but without it, there is no library. Okay. All right, well, Member Benz, I appreciate that. That was a very eloquent uh, response. I really appreciate that. Learned quite a lot. Uh, look forward to having this this discussion more often in the future. Uh, Mr. Corley, thank you so much for an excellent report. Mr. Head, uh, Ms. Short, thank you so much. Appreciate you all. I look forward to working with you in the future. Uh, now we will be moving on.
to member reports. Negative member report from the chair. Chair recognizes Vice Chairwoman Calloway. Negative member report, Mr. Chair. Excellent. Member Benson, do you remember report? No report. Excellent. All right. With that being said, Neighborhood Community Services Standing Committee is now adjourned.